Welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. Since it's January, it's only right that we alliterate with an interview from another person from Jacobin, but the head Jacobin this time, one Bhaskar Sankara. Before bringing everyone's favorite socialist magazine into being, he was a chill but precocious Trini child growing up in New York State. Unlike other first-generation immigrant kids, Bosco's family didn't pressure him to become a doctor or lawyer. But his dad did want him to have some notoriety, which happened, but probably very different than what he had in mind. Okay, I am immensely excited today. Why? Well, this interview will go down as one of my crown jewels. I'm sitting here with the man who is Trini Tootie Bone, Um, (laughs) a man who employed everybody's favorite white Christian, that would be Micah Utrecht, uh, (laughs) at the beginning of this auspicious uh, publication coming to life. Uh, I've interviewed several members of his staff at this point. Um, he It really shot to fame in the kind of post-Bernie uh, era after 2016. He's had you know, such luminaries such as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar be published in this magazine. You know who I'm talking about, none other than Bhaskar Sankara, king of the Jacobins himself. Welcome today. I am so excited we were finally able to make this happen. How are you? That was an incredible introduction. <laughs> I should I should hire you to just um, yeah, announce my arrival places. <laughs> Bosco is going to kick me out of this office. Like this interview, this is going to be the shortest interview I've ever done. <laughs> I'm so happy to speak to you. Um, I think that you are one of the you're one of the figures on the left that uh, kind of like you know kicks it in the background, but like you you are behind. I think. Uh, you know, one of the seminal publications that helps bring people to consciousness and or keep them focused uh, on the issues of the day from a socialist perspective. So I am dying to know how we got here, my friend. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, Where'd you grow up, Bhaskar? I grew up in the suburbs of uh, New York, uh, around maybe 25, 30 miles north of the city. Mm -hmm. Where? Uh, Pleasantville, New York. Mm, which is real suburban, real white bread. Okay. Very, very suburban. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like growing up in Pleasantville? Uh, it was nice. It was nice. I mean, I'm the youngest of five. I was the only one mm. of my siblings born in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody else was born where? Uh, it's actually a little complicated, but my sister closest to me in age was born in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. My three oldest siblings are half siblings, and they were born in India. Ah, because my mom's family is uh, Trinidadian. Um, and had been in Trinidad since like the 1850s, mm-hmm. 1860s. Uh, but my dad moved to Trinidad for work from India oh. as a young uh, man. What so part of what part of India is that? He's from, from uh, South India, okay. so like Tele- Kerala or no uh, Andhra Pradesh. So uh-huh. he's Telugu speaker natively. Huh. My mom's ancestors are mostly from North India. Most mm. um, Trinidadians are from um, 
sometimes Punjab and other places, but mostly from Bhojpur, uh-huh. this area that's in present day Bihar. Ah, India, so. interesting. Okay. What was, so what was that like growing up in an Indian, what, did you grow up more Indian or more Trinidadian or did they kind of, did you understand them to kind of be one and the same? Was that uh, like? Probably more Trinidadian just because my extended family mm-hmm. was, um, largely Trinidadian, the mm-hmm. ones around me, because most of my family was in northern New Jersey, near Newark and East Orange mm-hmm. when I was growing up, which isn't you know too far driving, like a 45-minute trip. So mm-hmm. I would spend the weekends there. My godmother is um, Jamaican too, so... Yeah. Proper Caribbean more, upbringing. Yeah, probably a little <laughs> bit more Caribbean. And then obviously all the discipline in Caribbean households are That's done by the women. Correct. So I would get my licks from my mom and my aunt, so... <laughs> Definitely more. First of all, you were the baby of five. You weren't getting any licks. You were spoiled. Uh, Be honest. No, only only for my mom. No, I I would for my mom. Never for my grandma, though. Yeah, because you were her baby. Yeah, and most of my mom is the youngest of nine. So my grandmother had close to 50 grandkids. Uh, um, Five zero. I was the second youngest. Yeah. Yeah. No, sir. Um, okay. What? But <laughs> so, what, were you were you one of many Caribbean families in Pleasantville? Were you one of one of the only? Like, what was the uh, situation? Definitely one of the the only um, Caribbean families. Uh, so there were a few Indian families. You know, um, there was a fairly large, but besides the diversity in my hometown was largely like Ecuadorian, mm. Ecuadorian. Um, were, was like the, the you know main minority group. And then otherwise, huh. it was largely um, uh, heavily uh, Italian American. Mm. Um, so some of those towns like Pleasantville, Hawthorne, Valhalla, those towns in that part of Westchester were very Italian. The surrounding areas like a bit more waspy, yeah, and also more Jewish. So there's a lot of Jewish people in in, in Pleasantville too, but. Mm. Um, the way I would describe a lot of my friends' background socioeconomically is that their parents would earn really good salaries. They would earn like 100, 120 grand a year of household mm-hmm. income, like very solid, mm-hmm. solid salaries. But because their family background was more working class, like a generation removed, or because their dads might work um, in, you know, contracting or, or, plumbing or kind of this, you know, kind of those, those types of uh, trades Mm -hmm. They had a much more working class affect. So some of the very old, tell me what you mean by that. Um, well, a lot of the, the reason why the accents are sometimes strongest in parts of Long Island and parts of Westchester is because, you know, these are families that had roots in kind of, you know, Yonkers and Brooklyn Mm. and, you know, Queens and other, other um areas so i mean i think this is often what people discover when they see that you know trump voters uh identify as working class but mm. are definitely not in terms of many of them aren't obviously some of them are working class uh because you know they you know own their house and they you know make 120 grand a year mm-hmm. but i i think there is something of like a little bit more than like an interesting affect in those uh, those areas. Okay, to like at an effort to to communicate some level of like uh, authenticity, like of like you know I'm 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 not a you know I'm not a fancy such and such. You know, my dad was a construction worker. I'm a, a little bit different because huh. 
they actually want to project wealth. Uh-huh. They want to project that, like, yeah, I have things or whatever else. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, I have a nice car. <laughs> like, I have a, a, a nice house or whatever else. But mm-hmm. it just kind of, it was just very clear that they were... New money? Recent, yeah, new money and not even necessarily money. Because, like, you know... New the, aspiring the smart, money. Yeah, the, the smart money was, you know... <laughs> you know, spend prudently. Sure, and invest sure. Their money. Sure. Huh. Interesting. How, so, would you describe? How would you describe your family's kind of uh, socioeconomic status growing up? Yeah, I would say my family, when I was very little, was you know probably close to poor, and that we only had one um, earner at the time, and mm-hmm. we had five kids. Mm-hmm. But then, pretty rapidly, as I was getting older and older. We became more stable in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the one earning job? Um, my dad was um, kind of a D-class professional. What does that mean? So he had a degree when he was in Trinidad. Um, uh, he practiced even as a doctor for mm-hmm. several years mm-hmm. in, in Trinidad. But then when he came to the U.S., he yeah. had to both get his immigration status, but also he obviously couldn't practice in the U.S. Sure. So he was uh, working to get a um, night master's degree. Mm-hmm. And public administration, and then ah. kind of working odd jobs while he was, you know, doing that. Yeah, I got you. Uh, then uh, my mom worked mostly as a telemarketer mm. when I was growing up, mm-hmm. but again, kind of like odd hours and hourly for mm-hmm. for a while. Did you was was there any? Did your dad have any resentment to this country because they like they took away his ability to be the the medical professional that he clearly was? Um, I don't think so. Hmm. It's kind of a strange thing, but I think he wanted to move to the U.S. He thought there'd be more opportunity for his kids in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And he knew it was going to be a process. Mm. Um, I definitely think that he liked the status because in the West Indies, often they couldn't attract doctors Mm -hmm. with money. So Mm -hmm. they attracted them with perks. Yep. So you would get... Paid not a big salary, but you would be given a free, like, house, yep. you know, right near to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And there would be tennis courts right there. And he likes playing tennis. And he would play tennis with, like, the attorney general <laughs> of Trinidad mm-hmm. and, like, and people around him. He'd be, like, do favors for people. He worked in Jamaica. That's how well, my godmother's Jamaican mm-hmm. for um, for many, uh, many years. And he loves Jamaica. And he was just, you know, the man about town. Sure. You know, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know if, especially if, if you are in sometimes you're doing work in rural areas and other areas where again you're not getting paid much people don't have much but it comes to the level of like stature and respect and uh, then you know you you know don't have to pay for a dinner for for the next couple losing that when he came here he wasn't there was no there was no anger there was no tension there was no resentment about that um or that you sensed growing up not that i sensed i mean also my dad at that point when he came to the u.s was 38 39 mm-hmm. years old um i was 40 he was 40 when i was born mm-hmm. um so i think by then you kind of mellow out a little bit or at the very least you know you you know kind mm-hmm. of learn to to live your live your life mm. did you under uh while things were still kind of uh not precarious necessarily but while things were still kind of tight when your dad was going to school to become uh, uh get his degree in mpa and your mom was teleworking uh did you did you have an understanding of uh where you, as as a child did you have an understanding of like where you were si- situated like with respect to class yeah i think i had a clear understanding i mean everyone knows that 
if you're in a household where there's not much money, there's often fights. Mm. Often fights between parents are about yep. money. money. Um, we never went on vacation and we never ate out to dinner. Mm. You know, mm. if we did go on vacation, but it was like driving vacation sure. to, you know, with family. Right. And that, you weren't flying the same barts to holiday. Yeah, <laughs> my first actual um, domestic flight, besides for flights to go to Trinidad to visit family, my mm. first domestic flight was um in 2013 mm, wow so, yeah it's like fairly fairly recently Whoa. So, um so yeah i think i think for sure you're you're aware of things um but, but did, did you think that did you think that most kids kind of went through life the way you did or did you have a sense of like you know there are people who you know do take vacations fancy vacations there are, you know lots of kids and i'm i'm one of the few that don't or like more or less like probably people most children live like me yeah, I think it was pretty obvious because also we um, rented for most of my life. So mm. we had a landlord and ah. the, the landlord uh, kid was, I think, either my sister's grade or like, you know, we, we knew the the family. So landlord was someone around. So and you could also tell by how big people's homes are yeah, and, and yeah. whatever else. So it was, you know, pretty, pretty clear. Um, but, you know, I never really uh, needed anything. You, you never know? wanted for anything. Though you uh, all well, were I mean, sure, certainly, you know, I, I, I wanted things, but no, no, I never, no, you know, wanted yeah, yeah, things, yeah, yeah. but I'm, but you I know, didn't, right? Yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I you had, weren't thinking about you weren't you were living in fear of like eviction yeah, not, every not day. Living you came in home fear from of um, of eviction and that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. The only fear we had was always we would never have. Um, I used to have to spend a lot of time alone just because mm -hmm. of you know, childcare stuff, sure. and I was very you know mature. Sometimes my sister, who's just four years older than me, but was you know very mature would take care of me but often i'd be alone for hours mm. at a time mm -hmm. you know but and the the if anyone knocks at the door just kind of like hide mm -hmm. and don't answer because Whoa. because of like not stranger danger yeah, but yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. of you know just you shouldn't leave a six-year-old sure. <laughs> alone for for large stretches but you know you generally i was i was okay uh, uh but did you, how did you make sense of all of this growing up? Like, how did you understand your life? Like, um, I think that probably uh, family and ethnic identity was much more important for me until I mean? got older. What do you mean? Well, just in general, I never probably considered myself American until ah. my early teens because my whole family is not from the yeah, US. Yeah. And we had especially my dad had been in many countries and whatever uh whatever else so i think it takes a while for you to um you know get comfortable with the permanence of of being in the same you know place though you were born here you still yeah. had to adjust to the idea that i am i am kind of of this place well yeah i think also you never really want to be i i don't think it was anything that society kind of did but mm -hmm. i think it's more just in the search for identity when you're when you're young mm -hmm. like i guess like i leaned into the parts of um, my identity that were um you know different like if that made sense like i like for example like cuisine or mm -hmm. like culture or you know whatever mm -hmm. whatever else mm -hmm. but it wasn't too um like it wasn't uh too uh, too extreme in any way, but it does remind me why I think the American form of assimilating 
recent immigrants is just better than France and other countries that are much more, they want to hit you over the head Mm -hmm. with assimilation. Mm -hmm. I think often in the US, it happens naturally to families as Mm. they're here over time, they they adapt, they interact with with other people, Mm -hmm. they decide to keep what they want, you know, give up what they're going to give up. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Uh, How would your family have described you growing up? Um, I think that I was definitely very talkative. I was very precocious. Around Um, what, what areas in particular? Around mostly politics and like history. Why? And I don't know. Yes, you do know. Why? No, I think, I think that they're really, uh, it really isn't clear necessarily why but i was always just interested in knowing um like i could probably at age maybe in the third grade i could probably fill out like maybe 150 out of the uh how many countries are there 182 at the time or something like that um like countries on a map like Uh i could get get most of them and uh, you don't know why you had an i was just i was just interested in maps and geography and and histories and cultures and what about that did you find interesting well i think it's just uh an innate curiosity right some people are curious about different things wrong wrong why are you trying to spin me sir (laughs) why (laughs) no i think i think some people are just curious about different things you know no no no. i agree with that i'm i'm probing why were you curious in particular about politics and history. Well, I think just because I have an international background, okay, right? There so we I think go. that's that's the main the main thing, right? Do you think I knew that I had you were relatives un- in different countries. Okay, yes, do, but do you think that part of that was like you were interested in understanding differences because you you yourself felt different and not necessarily American or of this place, though you were here? Yeah, of, of course. I mean, I think mm. that for most people, like being a step removed from yeah. their day to day life. Mm. Um, is part of living, you know, an examined life, right? Uh, um, and I think certain people can do it no matter what their environment is, mm-hmm. even if they're kind of uh, a white male in, in the U.S., they could kind of take a step removed and, mm. and, and, and see themselves. I think it's a little bit easier sometimes for other people to think about and examine the kind of why. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, yeah, I was always very curious and huh. in the why of things ah okay there we go so what 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 do you can you think back in to being a youngster and uh what things in particular about history really caught your interest or what things about uh what aspects of politics really caught your interest or 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 supercharged your curiosities yeah i mean so um obviously the the basics early on was I was just because I was interested in the maps, mm-hmm. I was interested in like how maps changed. Huh. So I got me interested in certain like empires. I was interested in like Alexander the Great and uh. all these other empires. But I was also particularly interested about the Soviet Union because hmm. most of the maps in my house in the globe still obviously had the Soviet Union because yeah. this was the mid 1990s. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. only a few years after its its collapse. And um, I remember asking my uncle and trying to like, look up or understand like why this country that covered so much of the earth mm. was now different countries. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I was very young, my mom got me or I picked out a book called like the Commonwealth of Independent States. It was just about um, the process of the Soviet Union falling apart, but all these independent countries, you know, agreeing to stay part of this Commonwealth mm. where they could trade and cooperate with each other. And obviously we see now that it didn't quite work out that way. Sure. But um, 
but yes, I, I think I was interested from a fairly young age in the um, in the Soviet Union in particular. Mm -hmm. I was interested in um, in, of course, you know, Trinidad and the West Indies more generally. Mm -hmm. like we would go to the West Indies Day Parade and yeah. in general, I think in a lot of these communities where um, and for Trinidadians, I think more generally there was not just a sense of Trinidadian identity, but broader West Indian identity. Mm -hmm. There was like one family in my class that were, um, you know, Guyanese. And that uh -huh. was, like, you know, pretty close. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> close enough. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Did you, how, how was, how did you come to understand or how was it explained to you? Uh, the, the, the USSR's, the, uh, what it had previously been and then what it, uh, kind of the it's a disillusion what that meant did you did you have a clear understanding of that or uh, you, I didn't have a clear understanding of socialism mm -hmm. or what it what it meant until probably middle school ah. but early on you know I, I did not gotcha okay what did you have an understanding of your parents politics and or ideology growing up um I knew that both my parents were uh democrats mm-hmm I knew they both really liked Bill Clinton. Uh -huh. I knew my mom also liked Fidel Castro. Hmm. Um, Did she ever explain why? No, I think she likes like strong, charismatic populists. She's a West um, Indian woman. Yeah, yes. so particularly <laughs> men, but she liked Maurice yeah. Bishop too. Yeah, uh, so yeah, she yeah. likes. Uh, handsome. <laughs> yeah, um, I think uh, I think that was it. And my my dad liked was a Congress Party supporter in India. Mm. Um, so he liked uh, yeah, both Nehru, but also Indira Gandhi, mm -hmm. even so kind of like, again, strong um, leaders who were for redistribution. But generally, so in other words, my family wasn't weren't a family of leftists, but they were broadly sympathetic to to um, figures from the left. But sometimes like authoritarian <laughs> figures or not not necessarily authoritarian the strong and, and men. Entire, yeah strong men um i remember watching every time that clinton in the 90s would like bomb iraq mm -hmm. i remember watching with my dad to cnn of like the iraqis would would shoot up their um their you mean uh, bush you said clinton bombing no iraq. no clinton throughout the 90s every like two three years cool. it was like continuous bombing of Baghdad for violations in the no-fly mm, zone or whatever mm, else. Like, you know, it happened periodically. Mm -hmm. But I remember, you know, watching those and watching the anti-aircraft weapons and, mm. you know, shoot up and whatever else. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I think at the time, my mom's take at least was, was that, you know, Saddam Hussein wasn't too bad because he built schools for girls. I don't know where she oh, got that idea, okay. but like again, yeah, <laughs> sure, whatever, yeah, sure, maybe, maybe not. Um, but but again, kind of like broad secular. She wasn't actually a Hussein, Hussein fan, mm -hmm. but but um, but she didn't demon. She didn't think she, he was I the think, absolute Satan. I either. think the the assumption is that like the U.S. is wrong in foreign policy, and uh, I that was you know, an assumption in the mm -hmm. in the house. Mm -hmm. Uh, without necessarily being pro or something else. Obviously, in the Indian context, my dad was from a generation that valorized the Soviets' mm -hmm. role yeah. in certain Indian conflicts. Like yeah. in 1971, the Soviets were kind of a counterblock to prevent India, uh, prevent the United States from intervening in the Indo-Pakistani War and the mm -hmm. Bangladeshi mm -hmm. liberation struggle. So I think in general, there was a broad left sort of populist, anti-imperialist sentiment, but not very like intellectualized. Got you. Okay. Um, you, uh, 
you said that your 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 family, your community would have described you as like precocious, curious, and you also said that you didn't really come to understand socialism until like middle school. What 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 brought that to your attention and what was that kind of before and after of of learning about different, I guess, socioeconomic systems? Yeah, so I definitely saw the advantages, I, or at least I, I saw what a welfare state could do. Uh, so I um, spent some, obviously, in my life, I saw that a lot of my opportunities came from having a strong public school system, mm -hmm. having public libraries where I'd spend a lot of time after school, mm -hmm. uh, public kind of after school programs mm -hmm. and, and things like that. Uh, the, my three oldest siblings didn't go to um, uh, college. So for me, just seeing kind of the clear difference between the trajectory that I was on. What was the trajectory you were on? It just seemed like I was on a trajectory to definitely go to college, mm -hmm. um, in part because my standardized test score is really high. Mm -hmm. um, so I did, you know, the Center for Talented Youth. Like you mm -hmm. take the SATs when you're in sixth or seventh grade. Yeah. Um, and I basically kept those, you know, SAT scores. I didn't do like astronomically well. I had like a 1280 or something, yeah. which is pretty good for, yeah. for a kid. So immediately after that, you know, obviously that helped, I, you know, uh, I got a lot of attention or got, you know, enough attention to, you know, guidance counselors and whatever else. I was just very clear that I was going to go to, uh, you know, good Because you were very scholastically inclined. Uh, I was not a, I was not um, very studious. Okay. Um, so. Meaning like you, yeah. you were one of those kids who like, you didn't have to like, you know, kill yourself studying all that, but you still yeah, got decent I, grades. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I didn't uh -huh. study well in, in writing and in, in English classes and in history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did somewhat poorly in other subjects, but sure. that was mostly because it's kind of hard to like BS your way through like a chemistry test. Yeah, that's right. That's right. that's right. That's right. Um, but if you have good vocabulary and general knowledge, you can figure out your way through writing yeah. about a book you haven't actually read. Yeah, you know? that's right. <laughs> um, so, uh, but for me beyond, so I, I would say I was initially a liberal in the sense that I really believed in the welfare state. Mm -hmm. I really didn't like, um, I guess, George W. Bush was elected when I was in middle school. Mm -hmm. um, I think the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really like George W. Bush. 9-11 happened and I didn't really, you know, obviously opposed the act of terrorism, but mm -hmm. I didn't really like the U.S. government mm -hmm. and kind of where things were going under, under Bush. Mm -hmm. um, I read like, uh, maybe maybe it was after, but I read like Paul Krugman's Conscious of a Liberal or whatever his his book was, and I broadly believed in universal healthcare, the welfare state, and so mm -hmm. on. And those were tenets of liberalism as you understood it at the time. Yeah, kind of in general, the the welfare state, New mm -hmm. Deal part of mm -hmm. liberalism. But uh, it's kind of separate to that. I became interested in Leon Trotsky, and I became interested in more traditional Marxist thinkers. And Hang initially, on, yeah. what 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 was that trend? We don't just yeah. go from Krugman to Marx. So, like, what was that? So, was it was it the, was the signal? <laughs> this was the signal crisis in your life? The election of George W. Bush, which who you didn't like, and you also didn't like the provocations that he instigated after nine eleven. And it was that what like segued us into Trotsky like right. what was the bridge there so there there was no bridge and that they were separate things okay one okay. was intellectual I had um read I think Animal Farm and other George Orwell <laughs> works yeah. uh, then after that I read Amish Catalonia which ah. talked about Orwell's time in a Trotsky aligned um 
militia mm-hmm. during the Spanish Civil War. Uh, then from there, I read directly um, a biography of Trotsky. Ah, okay. uh, then after that, I started reading other Marxists through that random kind of um oh through turn. that discovery yeah through that discovery i got you. and then that was separate to my own political sentiments which were broadly kind of a welfare state liberal yeah. sentiments and then eventually i merged the two together because they there is a natural connection but it was more like a intellectual interest what was the merging them together was an intellectual interest or i i think th- i had an intellectual interest in marxist marxism why uh, uh just because it gave you an entire um worldview mm-hmm. it told you why the past was like the past mm-hmm. and what the future could look like uh-huh. you know it gave you like that already kind of uh made mm-hmm. and i and i think that that was very attractive and also it's an ideology um tied to something that feels deeply um moral but also it whether it's true or not, it kind of presents itself as something like a science. Oh. So you can both understand the world, but also feel deeply about the world. Whereas what religion gives you is kind of just being able to feel about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but this kind of synthesized the two, mm. the kind of moral passion that could come from a religious or moral and ethical conviction mm-hmm. with the scientific rigor of understanding the world. Ah, okay. So, but if you're if you're coming to this uh, this level of understanding as like a middle schooler, no, you... I, I would say that, that probably was later. That was probably fourteen, fifteen that I synthesized the two. Okay, so yeah. high school. Yeah. But did you feel? Did you feel? Um, did you feel very alone in this kind of understanding and the synthesis or this process of synthesis that was unfolding or that you were undergoing? Or did or did you have like a crew and we were all you know skateboarding and then we're talking about <laughs> das Kapital? Like, like what's uh, what's happening? So we would definitely, I would definitely not skateboard. So my <laughs> friends did, um, but no, I mean I would read it. I, I had a couple friends who were interested in history, so we talk about like history sometimes. But I would basically just on this journey or have this kind of politics um, myself. But mm-hmm. I would just you know just read and then i would go on occasion i went to a few of the big anti-war marches mm-hmm. um my junior and senior year but mm-hmm. that was something that many people would be interested in going to because it's you know yeah. a broad popular uh mm-hmm. movement but in general i mean it being a marxist especially with my disposition wasn't like being kind of a, a young anarchist where you're you're wearing your allegiances on your sleeve literally because <laughs> Even though I wasn't a very studious student, mm-hmm. in part because of my upbringing, like I got along very well with teachers, or at least I was very respectful. Of course, you know what I mean, like right. that kind of thing. Your mama would have whooped your <laughs> yeah. ass if you yeah, showed exactly, that. Exactly. School. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly. So I mean, in general, I felt like um, I it wasn't a lonely journey, but it was just something I was interested in, and okay. other people, you know. How did so? If if I have the timeline correct, around this time, if you're if you're in early high school, that means Iraq is fully underway. Um, uh, there, you know, all the uh, the 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 uh, disclosures about all of the like civil liberties being um, violated that were happening under Bush is happening. Like things kind of feel like wild. Westy, you're going. You're on this journey of synthesizing, um, uh, you know, a, a Marxist view of history and and the present with your with your aforementioned kind of liberalism. How how did how were you understanding the world at that point? Yeah, well, 
first of all, I should say the vast majority of my teachers were very liberal and very anti-war. <laughs> yeah. So, sure. you know, um, so obviously you're getting some sort of affirmation for your, your worldview. Um, Howard Zinn was assigned in like the uh, maybe 10th or 11th grade mm-hmm. as a supplement to our main textbook, little mm-hmm. excerpts from it. And in the first opening, he kind of described himself as a socialist. Yeah. Which, um, you know, to me was an important moment of validating mm-hmm. that, okay, this guy is, you know, important enough and useful enough and respected enough that he's, you know, assigned in this class sure. and he calls himself a socialist. Um, so for... For me, once I became committed to being a socialist, the most important step was to join an organized socialist group. Mm-hmm. Um, I In high school? Yeah, so okay. I joined at the very end of high school um, in April 2007. Mm-hmm. And I had graduated, I guess, in June 2007. Mm-hmm. But I joined in April at uh, the Democratic Socialists of America. Oh, okay. And I went to my first a few meetings that summer. It was a very small group i i was um the metro young democratic socialists of america they're they're kind of um new york branch mm-hmm. uh, and i met many of the people i still collaborate now in dsa yeah there and there was maybe only like six to ten of us so it was like hard to sure hard to uh get lost in the shuffle mm-hmm. um you know which was which was nice but that was kind of my start of okay we're actually going to go to a protest to uh, oppose the privatization of ghi this health plan the city workers had mm-hmm. or we're going to chat with this guy uh, david mcreynolds the former socialist party usa presidential candidate who mm-hmm. was at that rally mm-hmm. or you know then you start to like interact and email with people and ask questions and you're kind of reading discussing what you're actually involved in mm. in something even though it was on a small scale because dsa was quite quite small mm-hmm. but that got me on the track of just regular socialist politics that more or less i still am on today right you're just yeah. you're i'm gonna bust your balls you're you're describing what you did with it i'm asking you how you understood the world as a result of it at that time um how would you have described how the world worked or or the forces at work in the world or or what you saw unfolding as a result of your adoption of a socialist politics? sure yeah i mean i think you you see that um even early on, you see that a lot of the no, no, no. Tell me what you were thinking at the time. Don't, don't, yeah. don't journalist me. <laughs> well, I think that that at the time it was very obvious that maybe not even in a more traditional Marxist land, but that power was an important thing mm-hmm. in the world, mm-hmm. and that much of the world was a competition over power and resources. Ah, and the people who have, you know, have, and the people who don't don't and it's not because of an act of god or effort or Mm -hmm. whatever else it's Mm -hmm. because of some prior conflicts over the distribution of resources and you think you understood it that way at the time i think i probably i broadly understood it that way Mm -hmm. and also the most important thing for me was understanding the accident of birth part of it ah why because it's obvious you know if you um you know a lot of my my family is obviously in India itself, not mm-hmm. even Trinidad, but but India. Yeah. So you end up with a group of people, you know, a billion people stuck on a subcontinent, yep. like hundreds of millions of people in poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And ironically, if only some of them were subjected to indentured servitude for five years, they would have ended up in Trinidad, where at least yeah. they would have landed on some oil yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and been in a, like, uh, a more developed country. Sure. Uh, so you kind of see the, the randomness of, of chance and, mm. and, and whatever else. And also, I think in my case, obviously, I saw that I had opportunities available to me and my sister closest to me in age had mm. opportunities um, available to me that mm. my uh, youngest, uh, my oldest siblings uh, didn't have. Mm-hmm. So I think that more or less encapsulated my worldview, mm. but it was also, I think, tied to a, you know, I still had a sense and I still have a sense of personal responsibility to some degree. The personal responsibility is conditioned by... Undercapitalism. Yeah, it's, uh. it's conditioned by, um, obviously, what opportunities you have mm-hmm. what resources you have at your disposal and whatever whatever else mm-hmm. so i didn't just completely obviously have this structural you know sure you were a child for yeah, five thousand yeah. feet and i still don't to this day you sure. know i think that you know, we still have choices we make within constraints sure um and um and especially among maybe middle class people like that's where a meritocracy probably does exist because mm-hmm. some people make good choices some make, people make bad choices hmm. except you know if you're uh poorer than that or you're richer than that then like probably a lot more of your life is 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 gonna play out a very particular way huh interesting i wasn't <clears throat> planning on hearing the m word from you but that's fine uh, <laughs> okay uh so at the end of high school uh when you you know you you had joined uh ydsa at the time because you wanted to it was important for you to be involved in a socialist organization because uh you were starting to identify as or adopt the politics of socialism uh what when when it was at the end of high school like and you looked out on your life like what were you thinking what was the plan for you what was your family's dream for you like were you supposed to be the doctor that your dad wasn't able to be here like were you supposed to be the lawyer you're west indian so they didn't give you a lot of options let's be honest what 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 was the plan no i think my family's plan and my dad's plan actually was to just have me have some notoriety to be honest, I really think With my no dad. no avenue. He was agnostic about how. Well, just... my, my dad really, I, I, I would say that he really does, um, he cares, cared more about cultural capital than mm-hmm. like actual capital. Huh. So I think, you know, being a doctor would have been a fine route, but it was pretty clear that I was going to, you know, I probably was going to do something else. I guess my immediate plan was to, um, to go to a, college that I either got a scholarship to or I could afford or mm-hmm. get enough loans for. Actually, I briefly, even at the time I was discovering uh, Marxism in like the seventh or eighth grade, mm-hmm. like was just planning to just join the, um, I guess this is right before 9-11, so mm-hmm. it must have been sixth grade, mm-hmm. uh, was planning to just join the National Guard because huh. <laughs> that'd be a good way to just pay for college. Oh, interesting. And I knew some people in, in my um, my friends, older brothers and things like that yeah. that did that. And then obviously when 9-11 happened, I'd be like, yeah. okay, these guys might have to do some stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah, I'm I don't, good. Uh, I think I'll, I'll just take the uh, the Fannie and Freddie loan or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> the Sally Mae loan. That's right. Um so uh, my initial plan was to, I, I guess I didn't have a clear goal right away. I obviously wanted to be adjacent to academia. What so, do you mean, obviously? So Why was, was that obvious? No, I, I wanted to be like involved in thinking um, 
Because about, that 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 precocious why was still there, and that was still driving yeah. And also, me. I was a uh, I was initially an international affairs major because that's where my scholarship was tied to. Sure. But then I wanted to be a history major, and what do you do with a history major? You either go to law school, which I knew I, I had thought about, but mm-hmm. I but I just quickly figured out that I just didn't really want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, or it was going to be something close to academia to write and edit because uh, I had already been the editor of The Activist, which mm-hmm. is the the online magazine of the Young Democratic Socialists of America mm-hmm. from age uh, 17 to like 19. Mm-hmm. So I had this experience and this, this background. Uh, so to me, getting a PhD in history was just a route to earn like 23 grand a year. It seemed like a lot of money. <laughs> And a stipend, I then have time to write and engage in the same sort of work I was already doing through Uh the activist um, and just on my own. I'd written a few times in college. I think the first time my freshman year in college um, for New Politics, which Mm -hmm. is a a socialist journal. Um, I had written a little bit later on, maybe the next year for Descent magazine. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually I um, started Jacobin right around then. So stop. Yeah. Hold on. We're not there yet. Um, where'd you go to school? Uh, George Washington University. Did DC. you lose your mind when you left your West Indian household and you came to Chocolate City, which wasn't that chocolate by the time you got there? Did you lose your mind? Tell the truth. Don't lie to me, Bosker. Uh, no, no, it was fine. I mean, I would go down. I, I, w- I would travel around D.C. a lot. So where would, would, where would, was you going in D.C.? Uh, I was traveling all around. I'd, I'd go to... Um, I, I would go to uh, U Street with friends. I would go to like you know, I would I would I would mostly end up going to like Adams Morgan or something, just because sure. like that's where like the right. bars were, right. and they didn't card much back then. <laughs> uh, for a while, I pretended like I um I lived in Vermont, but I put my Ex- real address and zip code uh-huh. on it because sometimes they would ask you. You know, they would look oh, at and say, wait, wait, What's you, your... When you say you would pretend like you were from Vermont, you mean you had oh, a fake ID yeah, from yeah, Vermont? Of course. Of oh, course, okay. yeah. why why did you choose Vermont? Oh, I was just, I think that was the one available. Okay. Um, and I, uh, I think one of my other friends got Virginia, but I was a little bit worried about that because I'm like, well, they're going to see a lot of Virginia IDs. Mm-hmm. So I think my other options was like, oh, you're like, let Vermont. me pick an exotic place with like three people and maybe they don't know. What yeah, this exactly. Was like. And then I was able to use, I used my, my home address like from, <laughs> from New York, but uh, I put it in the Vermont ID. Sure. So then. You know, you could be drunk and just rattle after your dress <laughs> like that. They just changed the NY to a VT. Um, oh, God. But I don't know if the statute is up on that. So <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So uh, you were you were underage drinking in D.C.? Which, yeah. I so mean, everybody that's, that's more or less what I did. And then I just, like, worked at the library. I watched a lot of the Knicks games. Okay. Uh, Wizards are obviously... Trash. Have been terrible. They yeah. were they finally got John Wall in that draft, like right when I was leaving DC. Yes. But they have been they were trash. Yeah. That's um right. so Asuda. I would go to a lot of Knicks games. Knicks were also trash. Yep. So the tickets were very cheap. That's right. Um so th- that's like the the big event that I I Okay, but I also to. heard you were yeah. a baseball nerd. I'm not a baseball nerd, but I do watch a lot of baseball. Who told me? I just interviewed someone who said you were a baseball nerd. Uh, so I, I, I'm very fluent in baseball because I watch a lot of games. Yeah. Eric said you were a baseball nerd. I watch a lot of baseball, but I'm basketball. But you're a basketball yeah, yeah. Okay. You're a Knicks guy, but like the terrible ass Wizards were, you know, decent. Cheap and in DC. Yeah. And, okay. and yeah, so I would go to a lot of games. I would often like work kind of near, near there at um, uh, Martin Luther King Library, mm-hmm. which, you know, close to, uh, close to, um, 
uh, where the Wizards play. So mm-hmm. I had a whole routine. I would like, you know, um, and that's what I did. You know, I, I, I generally separated my uh, I was involved in activism. You know, like I was involved what? in the big marches when okay. I was a member of the Progressive Student Union huh. and I was involved in little things here and there. But in general, um, we were in such a period of defeat. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually place much value in just acting if I didn't think that it would accomplish anything. Ah, okay. So I think we had a moral responsibility to go to every big anti-war march. Sure. And if you could help in a campaign with like Sodexo workers mm-hmm. um, in their local school cafeteria, then sure, I was definitely like up for, up for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that felt very real because mm-hmm. you, you, you know, would, would know some of the people and be able to see the, see the impact. Sure. But at that point I was, not cynical, but I was definitely a young Marxist who thought about the world in very structural forces and didn't actually think that there was a difference in me as an individual mm. going to a particular protest. Mm-hmm. I would just do it just because it felt sure. felt good to do. Uh-huh. Um, was but, part of that? Was part of that? Um, uh, you weren't you weren't defeated, but there was a sense of. Um, like what the like what I don't like blase like was part of that fed by um seeing the uh the the worldwide you know anti-war movement around Iraq uh that like did not result in the cessation of that conflict like was part of that like fed by what was going on outside of you on the on the on the international ge- geopolitical stage I would say that that the sense was much more highly ideological defeat of socialism like in ah. the in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. um because because that was like my reference points ah. at that point uh-huh. um i definitely felt a lot of dejection earlier mm. maybe when i was still in um high school when bush won re-election yeah. you know when i was you know um my parents actually had moved slightly to the left and my dad would listen to air america sometimes oh, you know so uh-huh. um so definitely kind of this shrill kind of like maddow and other people yeah. being like <laughs> you know because maddow back then was like had a different reputation yeah. she was kind of like a left liberal firebrand yeah. that was her reputation up until like 2009 yeah before she yeah for now she makes 30 million years so you so know who uh, the fuck cares you know, yeah. you know that that Jay-Z song where he's like, um, I dumbed down for my audience, so I doubled my dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want Rachel Maddow to do one of those. <laughs> Boss Grab wasn't ready for that. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. All right. But so it's like you would you would be you would you would you would you would go to some rallies, you would do some protests, but it, you're just kind of like, this this isn't this isn't enough. Like this isn't this isn't this isn't laddering up to like you know a vision or a movement of socialism that we need. But you know there it's still sometimes important for me to be involved. Yeah, and uh-huh. I I did think that the breakthrough was going to come through a resurgence of a different sort of liberal politics. You did. Um, so I actually supported, despite having this background, John Edwards. Oh, in two thousand and eight, because okay. I I liked his. Um, to Americas and the kind of like broad class polarization. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I I thought he was the best of the three major sure. candidates at the sure. time. Um, and so I was always willing to work with imperfect, you know, things. Um, because? Because it felt to me that in America, the worst thing in the world for a radical to do would be to be in complete isolation. Ah. So I used to like this Michael Harrington line. Um, 
Uh, Michael Harrington was the founder of the Democratic Socialists of America, and he wrote in one of his books, I think The Fragments of a Century, he described the job of a radical as the job of someone walking a tightrope. Mm-hmm. And you're balancing between uh, toppling over on the one side towards like sectarian irrelevance mm-hmm. if you try to just stick to your pure vision of the world. Ah. So I think often what we have to do is maintain what's distinct about both our moral criticism of sure. capitalism and the way in which the world um, puts so many people through so much needless suffering, mm-hmm. but also on the other hand, really try to connect with little pieces of of you know people and things today because yeah, we're in a as country, they exist yeah because we're in a country without a left we're in a country yeah. where a lot of ordinary people who would be the basis of any social democratic or democratic socialist party in the future mm-hmm. are either obviously a lot of them are just not engaged in politics at all but yeah, some course. of them are are many of them are uh, in the democratic party Absolutely. and vote for democrats and yep. that's how they engage with politics and that's how they feel like they're gonna mm-hmm. change things yeah and so it's, it's okay to meet meet them or the masses like where yeah. they are in order to maybe organize them to yeah. an, into another position and during the primary my friends in college were almost all obama supporters yeah sure so you know i went to the obama speeches yeah. whenever he was in dc you know whatever else and you know my my general approach to things is you know not to like complain be like oh i don't like his healthcare policy mm-hmm. or or whatever else edwards had a much better healthcare plan mm-hmm. obama had Based on the same plan as Hillary, except uh, Clinton said that she would um, do the mandate, mm-hmm. whereas Obama said, no, we won't do the mandate. And Hillary got kind of killed for having the mandate. Then obviously when Obamacare yeah, came yeah. out, Obama was like, yeah, I'm going to have to do a mandate. <laughs> yeah, Otherwise, yeah. this plan won't work. Huh. Um, but so we're feeling for Hillary now. Yeah, you know? no, we're not. Don't, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Oscar was an Edwards guy in 2008. Hmm, interesting. Tune in for part two, where my man hustled hard and got it out the mud to get Jacobin started. Part two is up on the Patreon at patreon.com slash what's left to do. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash what's left to do. If you'd rather support this work by leaving us a donation in the tip jar, please head over to what's left to do.com slash support. Okay, see you over on Patreon. <laughs>